Jaguar, everyone. Jaguar. Jaguar. Welcome, everyone, to this new episode of our podcast, um, Awake the Life of Yogananda. Um, as usual, I'm joined here with uh, by Priyank and by Chris. How are you guys doing today? Very good, yeah. thank you. Excited. Excited. And I can imagine why, because today we have a very special guest. It is actually the first time that we have a guest who um, was uh, participating and who was also shown in the movie Awake, the Life of Yogananda. And I'm very uh, proud to um, introduce Mas Vidal. How are you today, Mas? Good. Good morning. Nice to be here. Good morning. Good morning. Um, let me start by um, asking you, um, we have this book about um, the movie and they describe you in the book the, the following way. They say um, you are the director and founder of Dancing Shiva Yoga, exactly this book. And yeah. um, Masvidal has been heavily influenced by the teachings and writings of Yogananda. Um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and Dancing Shiva and um, how this was influenced by Yogananda? Yeah, so I um, moved from South Florida where I grew up. And uh, early on in my life, I felt connections to South Florida, uh, to California. I didn't know why as a child I was having sort of images and experiences about California. And I kept urging my parents that I wanted to go to California to school and all of that and didn't work out. It was too expensive for my family to send me to, to California. So I waited to graduate from college. And it wasn't but the next day after graduation, I got into my car drove out to California and um, and I went to the only person I knew in California who was actually a Hollywood celebrity. She had been married to someone in, in our family and I stayed with her and uh, she introduced me to the to the world, got me going there with a job and all sorts of things and uh, coincidentally, she, um, and never usually ever coincidentally, she introduced <laughs> me to yoga, Ayurveda, and Jyotish. And I was 22, 21, 22 years old. And then um, that drew me to discovering that world, all of the things that exist in Los Angeles and in those areas. And Interesting enough, my um, brother came out, who was also in Florida, and he said, listen, I'm reading this really neat book. Can we go visit this facility? And I said, sure, let's check it out, you know. And, and uh, we were at Mother Center. We went to the Mother Center in um, this near this San Rafael uh, Pasadena area of, of Los Angeles and uh, we're walking around there doing different things, looking at things. I had no clue as to what I was doing there. I'm just walking around, 
you know, getting a tour by a monastic and, and um, then years later, I ended up uh, just celebrating some, some things in, um, and I usually tell this story because I, 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 I want people to know that um, you never know the direction of your life and no matter how different your life is, it doesn't mean that you don't have an equal opportunity to move in a very powerful um, spiritual direction. You know, a lot of people don't know that Valmiki, who was the, the author of the Ramayana, was, was a major crook and was, did tremendous, offer terrible things and was just then suddenly turned his life around and, and went in another direction. So I was down in South Florida celebrating, having a great time. And um, we, I was with a bunch of college friends and ended up uh, pushing a barricade over in an area that they didn't want. They were blocking people off the street New Year's, and by uh, some odd circumstance, I ended up uh, arrested. And uh, Deborah, the, the Hollywood person, bails me out that night, pulls me out, and I um, uh, I'm given community service hours. I have to now fulfill some service hours for the community. And I'm looking at the pamphlet as to where I can fulfill these community service hours. Now I go back to California and it says options are non-profit religious organization. And I thought, well, I just visited that place, um, self-realization fellowship, maybe I can go there. <laughs> and fulfill my community service hours. <laughs> so I went over to the monks over at uh, Lake Shrine, actually, because uh, I was closer to that area. And I said, listen, I have these community service hours. I'm very interested in um, fulfilling this. I really felt a wonderful experience here. And they said, sure, come on in. Um, we have a lot of duties and help that we need here around the garden. Um, could you help us? And sure. And then I, uh, I spent weeks, months doing that, fulfilling these hours. And then towards the end, you know, one of the monks says, you know, look, you're just doing such a great job here. We're going to just, you know, uh, zero out all these hours and have, the, and I said, no, please don't. I, <laughs> I, I want to stay here. Uh, I, I want to add more hours. <laughs> and, uh, and that was it. I mean, um, that was it. That turning point for me uh, was it the exposure there. There was, there was obviously a samskara that, uh, drew me to the guru and here I turned something where I was being a rambunctious uh, post-college kid uh, now my spiritual life opened up and I was a, helped in the gardening area I uh, was cooking uh, at the ashram 
um, I ended up, uh, became a lay disciple there, uh, working at the, the small windmill chapel. Um, and then I was involved with when the, the big temple was being built. Um, you know, then I started teaching Sunday school and on and on and almost 30 years later, um, you know, just one, one gift, one blessing after the other, uh, the guru um, takes your hand and uh, just guides you and all the circumstances in your life become guided when you learn to uh, surrender to the divine hand. And that's what the guru does. It, he opens your vision and helps you to evolve and move in an evolutionary direction. And that, uh, that was it. And then um, I had, lastly, to answer your question, 1999, I was going through a dark night of the soul. You can study that in the Bhagavad Gita, how the, as the consciousness starts to unfold in a person, they um, have periods where old habits, old karmas come up and challenge the person. And I was uh, doing uh, some mortgage uh, banking type things uh, that some friends had gotten me into, had no interest in those things. And I said, that's it. I had one stock that I had owned that was just plummeting. I sold that. I was 30,000 in debt. I took the $230 and I left to, to India, to Dwarahut. And I called the monk there and I said, listen, um, I'm coming to the ashram, uh, just put me to work. And I called the ashram up there at Dwarahut, which is the area of Dunagiri, which is where Babaji um, manifested the Golden Temple for Lahiri Mahashai. It's written all about in the autobiography of the yogi. And I spent uh, close to a month up there alone with only one other monk, and it was me and him. And um, it was a serious training for me and a serious wake up. Um, I was in my late twenties and um, that, that was the change. That was my Dharma unfolding. And um, I, I was, went to visit Babaji's cave. I had no clue. I had the least connection to Babaji uh, because I couldn't connect with him as a real figure. I could connect with Yogananda because I was learning and being trained by direct disciples. So I, I had that connection and that was it. Uh, for me, it was that moment uh, meditating in Babaji's cave, something changed in my life without much detail. Um, I came back and I opened, assigned a lease for that center. Uh, to open a center and I wanted to call it Babaji's cave. I wanted to call it, you know, Yogananda's uh, house. I had all these names and I just uh, decided on dancing Shiva for a number of reasons. I was also connected to Ayurveda. I had started teaching Ayurveda and I put Guruji's picture up. I put Babaji's picture up and I started teaching yoga classes by donation. And that's it. I had lines out the door for years and years. Wow. And it was just me 
teaching and uh, and I started to invite other SRF devotees that I had known and met through Bikram because I had spent many years actually with Bikram in those days and that, that was in the early to mid 90s. And so a lot of SRF devotees knew of Bikram's connection to Vishnu Ghosh, who uh, was Yogananda's youngest brother, yeah. was very involved in Hatha Yoga. And so um, that, that, that was it. That spawned my whole world into Vedic studies, uh, went off to become an Ayurvedic practitioner, doctor. I also studied Jyotish, Vedic astrology, and uh, the whole lineage uh, started to unfold for me in my own life. And I realized that uh, without ever having planned this, uh, that this was what I was to do with my life. And, um, and years later, that's what uh, led to the Awake Connection. The, the filmmakers were speaking to uh, many of the monastics during that time, and they were asking questions. Who should we talk to? What are, uh, what are directions we should go? Any insights? And uh, actually, one of those monks actually just was recently here, came to see me for Ayurvedic healing and different things. And he remembers, and we were talking about that, and he says, you know, I remember that moment very intimately when they asked us and we responded and they said, you should talk to Masvidal. And when they showed up, uh, it was, it was, it was like a great blessing from the guru. I just, it was, it was, it changed my life so tremendously because I, this was my life. I, I, you know, I didn't know anything else. I wanted to be a monk actually uh, during those years. Many things were happening and Mary, many serendipitous events were happening. And, um, and then to be able to share so much about why I felt Yogananda was a pivotal, such a pivotal figure in, in, in yogic history and share his influence of, of yoga asana because I felt that was being left out. And I told the filmmakers, I said, listen, I, I, they were shocked to hear what I was saying to them, that Yogananda did a lot of yoga demonstrations with the monks, he trained them in asana. He trained them in what we know is integral yoga. You know, this is a concept that was coined by Sri Aurobindo, um, and uh, Swami Shivananda used that term. And whenever you look at a lineage, uh, and you, this is what Yogananda really emphasized in his life was lineage. That lineage carries the Shakti, the energy of the teachings, right? It's not the guru. The guru is just a vessel, a channel for that. Uh, it's the lineage. It's a, a link of unbroken, realized individuals that hold this Shakti and then carry it and continue to disseminate that to others. And um, when I shared with them my ideas and the things that I uh, knew, um, uh, they were spellbound. Uh, and uh, I got very involved uh, 
spent much, much time with them filming. And in fact, the, the, um, the earlier cut before the film that you've seen now, there was a much longer version of that film that I had seen before it was released. It was actually about two and a half hours. And I, I was able to watch much of it in a hotel room with the film crew uh, during convocation because we were filming uh, in the hotel and a lot of things were going on. And when I saw it, I was literally in tears. I was crying um, throughout the film because I was, I was in, I was, even though I, I still, uh, my role in the film was very uh, predominant uh, versus the other speakers. Yeah. And I did yeah. much, of, I ended up doing a lot of the voiceover as well. Um, that earlier cut, I was all over that film and I just couldn't believe it. I said, do you really want me? Who am I uh, to be in this film? And um, they said, Moss, you know, the, you're, you're getting approvals from the board. Everything you're saying is resonating. And, um, and I thought, wow, okay. Uh, you know, I just, it was, it was really transformational for my own um, life and my own sadhana. And I realized that um, I will always do whatever I can to serve my guru and to promote his teachings. And that has, uh, that's been a role that has come to me in some way. Um, I've been told that I've had other experiences and, um, and that's why when I saw this, I thought, you know, here's another opportunity <laughs> to encourage and motivate people to uh, study these teachings because um, Yogananda devoted his life to this and what he went through to bring uh, a very profound meditation teaching to a very ignorant, dormant society was remarkable. I don't think that anybody else could have fulfilled that role in 1920 America than uh, Yogananda. His two predecessors before that didn't last a year here, uh, which was uh, Vivekananda and Swami Ram Tirth, both who Yogananda had a strong connection to. So yeah, here I am and uh, Jay Guru. <laughs> Jay Guru. Jay Guru. Isn't it yeah, great? Thank you for um, sharing. Oh yeah, go ahead, Priyanka. Yeah, it's, it's just, I love hearing people's stories, how they come into on, into Yogananda's sphere of influence. And you just started your story pretty much in trouble with the police. And I absolutely love that because I don't think I've, that, that's an iteration of the Yogananda story that I've never, I've never heard. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Well, and I also thought about, you know, you, you look at people that, that were very influential. Sure, Aurobindo, who was a Bengali, actually related to Yogananda, mm. was incarcerated during his time for fighting the British and this and that. Mahatma Gandhi, was in Carson. I wasn't fright. I wasn't fighting colonialism <laughs> <laughs> in South Florida. But I thought, you know, um, how do I turn 
something negative into something positive and it just it it just happened and um and thankfully um i feel like i've been able to influence and encourage a lot of people to uh, to come to yogananda's teachings uh, because i don't present them from a uh, orthodox monastic perspective, I'm one of you. I'm, I'm just like everyone else. I'm a sadhak. And I'm here aspiring um, for God's love and self-realization. So. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks for sharing. I think we've all, we're all probably bursting with about 10, 15 questions. <laughs> yeah. What question? <laughs> can I go first? Okay, can I, can I just, you know, butt, butt in here and ask um, uh, a, a question here? You, you know, you said uh, early on that you had visions of California. You kind of had this urge or draw towards California and eventually you got there. Um, Typically, really, is you know, I understand that people get on the spiritual path because there's a, a real breakthrough. There's there's something that either shunts them onto the path, maybe as you might have experienced, or there's this longing to be, you know, to to become, you know, to to know more. What what were you, you know, did you sit there in the prison cell and think, God, there's there must be something more to this, uh, and and did you then have that breakthrough moment or or did you, did you then have a spiritual longing as you were thinking of California and getting there? Was it more buildup or, or a shunt? Yeah, well, I think what happens in general, in my own experience, um, you know, I, I, you know, the soul for me was, was getting hungry for, for something deeper. And I wanted to know what love was and i knew that this world wasn't satisfying me anymore and i kept saying i want to know what love is and the experiences i was having uh growing up in somewhat of a dysfunctional family um having dealt with drug and alcohol issues as a teen in in south florida um, I, I was in a desperate place for um, wanting purpose, dharma. And I, I, that was a, one of many pivotal experiences. There were many, there were probably five to seven more that really kept pushing me in that direction. That, that was a very strong one, obviously, because I ended up serving at temples and all of that but there there were many more that just it, it's a fine tunement that starts to happen and that's when anyone comes to the kriya yoga path as we know it's coming in the in the last incarnations of that person's soul they're not starting at the beginning of their evolutionary cycle they're coming to the end of the soul's return to pure consciousness and so you there there's a lot of friction when you're coming in um, usually there's some type of resistance now you're you're repelled by the outer world uh, you're repelled by your 
identity, even the career and all the things that associate you to the world and to the whole world process, you begin to kind of push it away because the soul is wanting one thing and that's God's love. And when you find a, a methodology and a system to bring you into contact with that, um, your desires start to fall away little by little. The whole path is basically a reduction of outer desires for one single desire, and that's the desire to love God. Mm. Right. I'm getting emotional just, just listening to you speak there. To be fair. <laughs> yeah, for me, it was also, uh, that resonated with me as well, because I remember when I was a troubled teenager, I had this very... Uh, fiery relationship with with a uh, with a young girl, and she was. Um, I was always in like limbo between joyful moments and real misery. Like you know, you don't want to get out of bed, and I thought this this really this like this is not you know I, I can't live life like this. Even you know I was I was young young boy and I hadn't hadn't um, read about yoga or anything, and and I thought there must this can't be it. Let me let me find something. And, and I, I just picked up the Gita and I started reading it and I realized oh, this, is, this is so inconsequential. What I'm, these little tumults, tumults that I'm going through in this little relationship kind of exemplifies what, what life is going to be like. And it can't, it has to be much more than that. And that, that, that was how it started for me. So that was quite an interesting uh, little parallel that you drew as well for me. <laughs> That's nice. Um, I really like that part of your story where you had to do community work and then it happens that you just went to SRF and just heard about Lake Shrine and they let you do community service there. Like for me, when I hear stories like this, it's like Guruji is placing the pieces on the board, <laughs> setting up the stage for you. Is that how it felt for you in that moment as well? And did you feel like you were coming home in this moment? Yes, absolutely. I, I felt like I felt like I never wanted to leave. Mm. And um, it was such a joy to serve and such a joy to be a part. The connection was was so palatable for me. It was so tangible, the energy. And um, there were very special moments in my life. And it was it was a time of purification because you know, you still, you still wear the old garb and you still have that. But as you're doing this, um, selfless service is one of the, you know, primary entries into the spiritual path because it purifies you from the eye. And um, I realized that now why karma yoga is so important. It's, a, it's, it's that real first foundational step and to be there, to be around the ashram, to greet people, um, and to have that exchange um, with other devotees became very, very uh, special, very important. And um, and uh, so it's it's I hadn't I hadn't thought about those times in a long time, <laughs> um, and I haven't been by there in a long time, but. Um, it is, it, it's still very, very fresh. It, you know, it's very auspicious uh, moment. You, you never forget these things because this is, 
this is the, these are the turning points. We all have turning points in our lives. And, um, and that is the, the process of awakening. You know, we are awakening and expanding our awareness uh, to what is real and, and moving away from what is unreal, which is this entire world. Um, and um, that was so signature to Yogananda's life. I mean, Yogananda was at heart to me, a, a pure Vedantin, you know, he, he only really, even though he worshiped Divine Mother in the form of Kali, he really um, always turned everyone to the father. Oh, you know, he used the term the father because, you know, the, the, having to come to the West and all of that, but really it was Brahman. It was, you know, God alone exists. And, you know, and that's a very Vedantic kind of ideal that there is one consciousness that upholds this entire planet. There's one life, one light behind all living things. And that's was to me the strongest message of his entire teaching. Go to the one, don't follow me, don't worship me, I'm just the perceptor. And he played that role so beautifully um, and I really think that that's, that really came across not only in its teachings, but in the film. And the film did really uh, wonderful work to uh, show how his difficulties, you know, realized that this is a very, very powerful person that reached the Nirbhakalpa levels of Samadhi, but yet still had to deal with very, very complex day-to-day -day issues, just like you and I, financial issues, going to get a bank loan um, and uh, initially cooking and doing a lot of different things that we think that, you know, the guru just sat around in a high chair bossing people around, that's not <laughs> the case. You know, um, he often said, you know, in America, a guru has to support his devotees. In India, the devotees support the guru. <laughs> you know? And uh, poor Guruji was, you know, was really tested. I mean, it really wasn't until the 1930s when Rajasri Janakananda came in that his life really uh, changed. Uh, it was much easier and the work was more established. The, the Awake was really a film you know, that was telling the story from 1920 to 1929, mm -hmm. basically, 1930. Um, when Rajasri Janakananda came in, that all those stories were of the past. And so that's, those are all basically the things that were never in the autobiography of the yogi. Um, and for many obvious reasons, but, um, those uh, those are the things that really make for a Hollywood story because you can't tell sell a, a good film without some type of villain in that story, and um, they they found a number of villains. You know, one Dirananda kind of uh, played the villain, mm -hmm. but it was also culture, American culture, 
was, was very much opposed to Yogananda's message, even though he filled auditoriums and this and that. Uh, you know, when he was in Miami in the 1920s, there was even a bounty on Yogananda. Really? Uh, and a lot of people don't realize that. Uh, these are just things that were discovered during the filming. Uh, he also faced incarceration a number of times between Miami and uh, Washington, D.C. in a number of areas. And um, the complexities of, of bringing a teaching to a society like this uh, was very, very difficult. And, um, and there are still difficulties even today. Um, so at least we can practice and do these uh, satsanga type videos. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but uh, that really wasn't supported very much during those years, especially those 1920s. Mm. So. You, um, you mentioned um, uh, when you were at serving at Lake Shrine, some of the monks uh, became quite close to them. I suppose they must have given you some counseling, etc., even early on. But uh, you, I think I sense you had a special relationship with uh, Brother Bhaktananda. Is that correct? Yes. If, that, if so, please do tell us about him, because we obviously we, as younger members, we only hear his lovely his lovely talks and you know his inspirational messages and his beautiful devotion in his voice, etc. And he's obviously a favourite amongst uh, a lot of people. But I sense you had some. You're, you're one of the fortunate few to have such close relationships with, with so many direct disciples such as him. Yeah, I didn't realize it at the time. I, you know, I had a good 10 years of regular exposure around Bhaktananda because I was also uh, teaching Sunday school at uh, Hollywood Temple in those years. I was in my 20s and I, 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 during those times, I didn't realize the stature of this very humble uh, which was to me a little old man with blue eyes. Um, <laughs> and whenever I sat with him, he would say, how are you, Raul? You know, my, my uh, birth name was Ralph, Raul. Um, and we would sit and then I said, uh, I remember one conversation we were having and he said, um, I said, brother, you know, I'm, um, I'm teaching yoga. He goes, oh teaching yoga and I said yeah you know I've opened a center opened a center and he, and then and I sh showed him my schedule of classes and and he said you know okay this is good but remember don't Guruji said don't give too much attention to the physical body because then you become very attached to it and, and he said, you know, you know, Guruji, when we, he would go on tour, would um, sleep in hotels, but he wouldn't sleep in the bed. And he would just put a blanket down on the floor and sleep on the floor. Wow. And I thought, this is brilliant. I'm going to do this. And so I did a two year sadhana of sleeping on the floor because it's very good for your spine. And he often, Yogananda used to tell how in ashrams and in India, they would sleep on very soft, small little thin cots on the ground. And so he was 
so adamant about having a strong spine, having a straight spine. And this was one of the core themes of his teaching, the mind and the spine, of learning to merge the mind into the spine. Kriya Yoga is basically, Raja Yoga is basically a teaching of learning to dissolve the mind, I-ness, the ego, uh, thoughts, emotion, all the, the modifications of the mind into the spine, which is a very tantric concept, the chakras, right? And moving energy through the channel, the central channel in the spine. And, uh, and so I thought this was brilliant, brother. I just uh, really appreciate it. And I told him I did that. And I knew that he, he started, to, he would always share many experiences around his consciousness. Wouldn't share a lot, but then I asked him, I said, you know, I've been doing Kriya for some years now. I think it was at that time, maybe six to eight years or something. And I said, you know, what's going on? Do I just keep going? He's like, it's very slow and it's gonna take another 10 to 20 years. It really takes time because you have to purify. And I wasn't sure if he was telling me that specifically because he knew me um, or that it was just a very general thing. I believe it was a little bit of both. I do realize that it did take some time and it took a good 10 to 15 years of Kriya before it would really start to align my life and to awaken subtler intuitive energy. Um, and the concentration started to develop more overall because the technique itself is increasing dharana. The repetitiveness of that technique is refining your capacity to have that one-pointedness in your mind. And I noticed that over time, um, that improved my capacity to get into the spine and really feel it and, and see it uh, changed. And that's, um, that was it. That was really what I took from much of Brother's teachings. The second part was he always, he said, you know, one time I was, doing some cleaning uh, at Mother Center. And Guruji said, what are you doing? He hollered at me. And, and I said, I'm sweeping, I'm sweeping the, the driveway. And, and uh, he said, no, what are you doing? And he kept asking him. And so finally Guruji walks up to him and he says, I, I, I'm not asking you about what you're doing mechanically. I, I want to know where your attention is. And that was, I think, his moment where his message, Bhaktananda's message, is to serve God and Guru and to have that devotion, to always do everything with devotion to God and Guru. And then he said to me, he said, he said, Yogananda said to me, Guruji said, repeat 
for God and guru, for God and guru, whenever you're doing anything. And that always stuck with me. And then so when I kept teaching at my center, I kept saying for God and guru, for God and guru. And I would start each class as an offering as I'm doing this for God and guru. And that really stuck with me because Bhaktananda lived that life of becoming an instrument in, in divine hands and to learn to be a channel for Guruji and his work and forget about the mechanics of whatever you're doing, brushing your teeth, going to work, whatever it is, use all of those as opportunities for karma yoga. For, you know, he was Yogananda's Guruji's driver. He drove him around for many years. He was his, his chauffeur. And I, I remember during those times, I had notebooks full of direct experiences that he shared with me and us, other devotees, um, uh, during those times of experiences, uh, you know, uh, but he was a very elevated man, uh, Bhaktananda. I was at his, uh, his uh, funeral um, and it was really touching for me when that happened because he was my main counselor as a young devotee. And him and uh, basically Paramananda, who is a more internal monk, he organizes convocation and... Uh, and a few others. Later, I developed closer relationships with Vishwananda, Ananda Moy, um, I had some exposure to during those years. And, um, and so that was my regular contact. And as I continued to teach, one of the things that I would do is bring all of the students from the yoga center to Mother Center <laughs> for a satsang and a gathering with the monks. And it was just my way of saying, listen, I'm not doing this. I'm here to show you what I have learned. And this is the source of my experience. And, and many people, I think, were transformed by that. And um, uh, it's, it's really important to remember your lineage and to and to do that, and you never know how the guru is going to guide you and what's going to come up uh, in your life. So uh, I'm grateful that I had that those years with Bhaktananda. And then when he passed, I realized, because we used to hear a lot of stories around the ashram about things that uh, he was uh, doing. I'll share one because I've known it for a long time. And... Um, there was a woman uh, that was a housekeeper during that time, was told to us she was lost her job and she um, had two children, was very worried about her work and being able to support her two children as a single mom. And she's very down, very depressed. This is somewhere around the Pasadena, Hollywood area. She gets onto a public bus and she's, this man approaches her and says, what's going on? You seem very um, sad or something. She's like, yes, I just you know, lost my job. And 
and I've got two kids and I don't know what to do. And he says, this man says, listen, I know a couple that are actually looking for a housekeeper and you should go talk to them. And she's like, really? And this is their information. I'll let them know that you're going there and all that. And she um, says, okay, I will go immediately. She went over to this couple's house. I believe it was more towards Lake Shrine uh, in the Palisades area near Sunset and Malibu area. And she knocks on the door and the husband and wife say, hey, listen, uh, uh, who are you? What, what are you doing here? Oh, I hear that you're looking for some housekeeping. And um, she uh, says, uh, the, the wife says, oh yes, by chance we are, please come on in, come on in. And the woman walks into their house and you know, she's looking around and you know just sees art and different pictures on the wall. And the couple uh, turn to each other and ask her and say, listen, um, by the way, um, who were you referred by? Who sent you? And she looks up at the wall and she goes, oh, that's him. <laughs> And the couple uh, turned to each other and said, what do you mean that's him? Yeah, that was the man on the bus that told me that you had the job opportunity. And they looked at each other and they said, you're hired. <laughs> <laughs> so, and that happened in the 90s, late 80s, 1990s. So you never know how the guru's presence is going to come and, and if it has to appear that presence comes in and guides that soul's life and and they do that for incarnations and there's so many things that brother shared um remarkable stories of the ways that guruji even one i'll share one more because he shared this one with me personally um when brother often gave services, um, he, uh, you know, he, he had a very timid personality. And this devotee came up to him and said, you know, brother, is Guruji really there for us? Is he really helping us in very, you know, tangible ways? And, and he said, yes, of course he is. He's always there. He's always helping. And, um, and so I guess the next day he's doing the Sunday service at Hollywood Temple and uh, does the opening prayer, Heavenly Father, Divine Mother, all of this. And the woman who had counseled with him is in the, um, inside the temple sitting in the pews. And he's doing his lecture and he looks down, looks at his notes, and he looks up at that pew that where that lady happened to be sitting. And he sees Yogananda standing behind her with his hands hovering over her head, blessing her, blessing her. And then he went to the next person and he went down the entire row and was blessing each devotee during the service while, and Bhaktananda said, 
I turned my head down and then I had to look up again because I wasn't sure that I was really seeing that. And he looked up and he was still there and he kept blessing each and every one of the devotees. Now, that's happening all of the time. Yogananda, like Lahiri Mahashai and any great master can control their vibrational levels so that they can see you or not see you. And obviously he did that knowing that he could share that story incarnations or for many lives later. And people would learn that the guru at that level is always taking a very proactive role. And now that he has omniscience, he's not limited to this one heavy body. He can actually now multiply himself into many different places all at the same time and help those aspirants that are trying to reach uh, their samadhi. And, um, and I, it was a very special moment because I've spent so many years sitting in those chairs, cleaning those chairs, vacuuming those chairs. So uh, to know that that vibration is just constantly present in, but we have to invoke it. We have to invite it. And um, if you want me near, you know, you have to think me near. And this, you have to keep that divine attitude and keep that connection with the guru in everything that you do. And that was the, to me, what Bhaktananda has always left for me. It has to be a living relationship with the guru. Powerful. I, yeah, great, great. Uh, thank you very much for sharing that. Can I ask, um, with Yogananda, what would you say has been your the most pressing lesson that you've taken from him or that he's given to you? Uh, probably humility. Um, having some much connection to Dayamata during, you know, her those years when Bhaktananda was around and um, seeing her at convocation, I think the 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 deepest lesson for me was take the end of the line. Don't don't be the one that wants all the attention because when you play that role, you're going to be ignored. But when you, when you stay that real quiet, humble one, that real, the one that does the inner work and keeps that inner devotion. So I have, um, even though my life now is very much in, involves public, a type of public role. I, um, I, I really stay pretty silent and my, I, I keep my life very private. I still follow very, very uh, traditional practices in terms of, uh, I enjoy the world, I live my life, but I also try to not um, be, be very careful about how we feed the ego because um, 
I also learned that much spending much time now over a decade with Swami Jyotir Mayananda and repeatedly in satsangs because I can, you know, literally go from my parents' house just down the street to his house. Um, it was just one after another, just crushing of my ego. And that is to me, the, the, the great teaching of realized masters is they're just obliterate the eye. That's not who you are. Don't let that confuse you. And at first these things come very difficult in the, the moments. And for me, when I transitioned from being a yoga teacher, the director of a, of a center in Hollywood, when I lost the center, and I had planned a big re-grand opening. We were moving the facility across the street. I had invited monks from Mother Center that were gonna come to kind of just offer their blessings as they used to visit me there from time to time. And, and we had this big grand opening plan and on the day of that grand opening, after I had closed down this facility, the landlord said, I'm canceling this lease. I don't want to do this. And I had just put 12 years of my life into this facility, uh, planned the reopening, all of these things. And I literally had to put a sign on the door, close the whole thing down. It was, it was a breakdown again of my ego. And I knew that Guruji did that. I knew that he said, you no longer, cause I had prayed to him. I said, I need more evolution. I need to grow. Something is impeding me here. I need your help. And he gave me that walloping punch and it leveled me. It was the most difficult moment in my entire life. I can say that because I had no more job anymore. I had, I had now over a hundred thousand in debt. Before I started the studio, I had 30,000, but I opened this place, took on a hundred thousand in debt and now it was shut down. And, um, here I was at home in tears, crawling to my altar on my hands and knees, crying for weeks and weeks and months. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And I realized, and I knew, I knew I had to go through it. I knew that this, I had to experience the pain because my ego was associated with that role that I was playing. And it, it really, it was, it was the next big shift in my life. It crushed, crushed me. And, and that was it. I knew it from this day on. I need, humility needs to be at the cornerstone of my spiritual life. This is not about me, it's about we. And we need to all help each other and satsangas, you know, Adi Shankara's famous saying, satsanga twe niha sangha twam, 
Nihasanga Twe, Jiva Mukti, that Satsanga can lead you to liberation. If you follow Satsanga and good company, good association, it breeds humility, it helps that support. And, um, and that's, that's been a, a, an important turning point for me, um, that we're all in this together, we're all here to help each other. It's not just about my spiritual life. It's not about my needs and desires. It's not about poor me. There are people suffering everywhere in this world and we should have more compassion for the millions and billions in this world that don't even have a guru, that are nowhere near a guru. And the fact that you have come to Kriya Yoga, very highly advanced, going back to the Rig Veda and the, the, the epic scriptures refer to this technique, that you have come in this lifetime to that technique, this is one of the grandest blessings of the entire evolutionary cycle of all of your lives. You now granted a key to the kingdom of God. And uh, I, that's just what this lineage does for me. I, I don't take that for granted that we have a key. Now you have to put that key in the door and open the door. And uh, that's Guruji's given you the key. He's not doing it for you. I mean, he'll help you as much as he can. But remember, everything is a mathematical equation. You created the equation. You have to solve the problem yourself. <laughs> so. Chris, you have to now answer what Guru what Guruji's the biggest lesson he's given you, I'm sure Mas wants to know, uh -huh. as do I. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, it's an interesting one, just listening, Mas, to, to your answer, because um, Guruji said that um, one of the biggest lessons he got from his guru was learn how to behave. And, it, you know, your answer kind of rings something similar to that, right? Learn how to Absolutely. behave. And, and I guess that's... It's discipline for me, you know, it's learning discipline, learning how to behave and to do, not, you know, to set, he, he talks about setting goals, the person who sets goals and really does nothing to achieve them is going backward. And, you know, so many times I thought, damn it, that's me. <laughs> I'm doing that. I'm doing it again. <laughs> I'm like, oh shit, you know, I need, I need to, I need to readdress this because, you know, he really, um, he really hammers home, like, wait, you know, wake up. This is your time. To, again, to, it, to what you were saying there, Matt. So, yeah, my Priyank, my biggest lesson is do it in the high act. You know, you've you've got to you've got to pull the finger out really to get get moving. Times times running short, you know. So Gurdjieff's lesson um, is is reminding me of my mortal or uh, my infinite um, life, but in in this mortal form, uh, we need to act now. Yeah, that's right. You know, this brings up. I was just reading through some of the new lessons that are brilliant, actually. And I think that in the first lesson, and I believe it's even within the first few paragraphs, 
there's there's a line there that to me is the most important line of the entire teaching. And it says that Kriya Yoga is not simply a path that relates specifically, and I'm just paraphrasing in broader sense, uh, a technique that you're here to do. It involves both an inner responsibility that you have to God, but it's also an outer responsibility you have in the way that you live in this world. And that to me is something I didn't get early on when I was on the path, but I, I was so pleased and inspired to see that, or at least see it this time at the very beginning of the lesson, because um, I didn't look at that that way. And Vishwananda once said this to me when I, I was in India, I said, look, I'm doing the techniques and doing the techniques. And he says, well, but what is your outer life like? I, I, I was speechless. I, I couldn't, and that was it. I, that really was, was a home run. It woke me up at that point. And I realized it's not just about sitting there and knocking out a thousand Kriyas. In fact, you're better off sometimes just doing six and also tending to your responsibilities and living and integrating this as a living life. It's your life. It's the way that you live in this world. It's the relationship that you have with all living beings that is the teaching. It's not just a bunch of mechanics that we're pulling out of a toolbox. It's a culture. This is Sanatana Dharma. It's a culture. It's teaching you to live on this planet in a very harmonious and sacred way. And that's what the, the, the whole package of Kriya and the whole tradition is trying to teach us. Mm -hmm. So thank you for Christopher sharing that that idea of learning to behave because it's true it's it's how are we living in the world it's how do we behave in this world with animals with each other with the poor the halt the lame all of those people also need equal respect and attention what about you mike What's the best lesson that masters taught you? Um, hospital pass? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's not a hospital pass because I, I feel like I have, instead of the big failures, I, my life is more like a life of many small ones. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, I do, I do, um, uh there's this line where guruji says like a, a guru is also here to um protect you from your karma but also to spoon feed you your karma right so he gives you the kind of chunks um that you that you can have and i've had so many um things that happened to me that where i was like okay i should i do this or that and then this one broke away so it's this i guess so um just just before I moved to London, for example, I lived in Vienna and a year before I bought a new car 
I was very proud. I got like a <laughs> uh, first time I bought a new car. I don't know why I did that actually, but I I really liked it. And one of and then I thought I should probably um, uh, move somewhere else and try something new. But I just bought a car. I can't move anywhere. <laughs> and uh, this uh, this car got stolen like two weeks later. <laughs> 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 and then i was like okay i don't have this excuse anymore maybe i should reconsider that um i i i don't i don't feel like i have gone through those moments where i was like okay i this is a complete car crash but maybe they're yet to come you never know so <laughs> no, it's totally ahead of me just for future reference mass like if i ever go there um what would you is it like a checklist of things I should be looking out for? You mean when the the, the car crash happens? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I would say one is listen to the world, right? You know, the mm -hmm. the world is speaking to us. And um, it what does that experience tell us? You know, you got the car stolen. Okay, maybe there was some attachment to that car, you know. So the, the world is divine, right? The, the, the divine forces are guiding us through those experiences and, and the guru in particular. But I would probably say what Anandamoy said to me once uh, is turn all your pain and all your difficulty to God. Mm. All those experiences that are outer are trying to always direct you to the very source of your existence. And if you can use those experiences as boons, as catalysts, um, as energy to direct them towards God, then, you know, emotion becomes devotion, right? Rather than sadness and anger as an outer reaction, you know, as a rejection to the experience, turn it into devotion to God. And that is the transformation of the ego self to the higher self. And then we, we become connected to the very source of our existence. So there, that's right. And they're all bound to come, you know, we never know when these things are going to come just because we're Kriya yogis doesn't mean everything's going to be rosy and uh, pretty. In fact, it's quite the opposite. The opposite I mean, yeah. Now, now the, the, the difficulties will come because you're aware of them and you're now a warrior and you have to confront them as Yogananda as any great one, um, in fact, it was Swami Ram Tirth that said, the great, uh, all great sinners, uh, all great saints were great sinners. And uh, it's true. If you turn those negative things into positive things, I think you'll you know, uh, do very well. And thankfully, we have this great teaching and and it's alive and a community all over the world to, to bring us together and share stories. And that's what this is. These are satsangas that, that help us. And, and, uh, and it's 
so important to keep doing it constantly, find ways to, to bring new. You all are, you have the teaching now, but we have to fulfill that role now as teachers. You have to in inspire other people. So now the teaching is there. Now it's in your hands. It's in our hands for us to, to help other people with these teachings. And uh, that's really what uh, a great guru does. A guru doesn't bind you. In fact, the guru is trying to unbind us and to empower us. Um, and that's what I love about Yogananda. When you read his autobiography, it's not all about him. It's mostly about other people. He's giving credit to so many great people and it's an autobiography. <laughs> chapters dedicated to six to eight other people. And, and um, you know, and I think this is what we really, he's encouraging us to do is to really respect all of us uh, as great teachers and to bring that uh, as you all are doing through this podcast to uh, help other people. You know, you never know now who watches this and they go read the autobiography or watch the movie and now their life unfolds like a domino effect. Perfect. Yeah. That's the, the purpose of, of doing it, wasn't it? Guys, we were, we were thinking, well, if we could do anything, it would be to maybe introduce just one person. You know, if, if that, that would be such a blessing, wouldn't it? You know, that that's that's incredible. Sorry, before we move on, it'd be, it would be rude to leave Priyanka. Priyanka, what, what's your, you're not going to shake your head? <laughs> no, no, I'll <laughs> take it. But, but fortunately, I've had like three people's answers to prepare for my own. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. Should really, should, <laughs> there should really be an A-star response. No. <laughs> um, yeah, so really when, when I first started coming to the London Centre, I, I, you know, it was, it was a haven of peace and I thought I'll just sit in the corner and, you know, be there and, you know, get, get to that state of realization, hopefully in this, in this atmosphere. And from the very first day, they needed something done. And now oh, Priyank, you're an engineer, you're a chartered engineer. You can, you can do this. You're qualified to do this. So I said, okay, I'll do it. And I didn't want to do it. I'd, I'd really, I'd really had this, I don't know, a really strong aversion to doing work, volunteer work for some reason. So, but I did it because someone asked. And then slowly that became about 50 other things. And then, and then what I found, it was very interesting, was as, as, as my resistance levels went down, my growth proportionately went up. So, um, you know, I was listening to, I, I volunteer for Yogananda Seva right now. And, and one of the directors gave a, gave a talk on um, Seva Bhav which means like the culture of, of, of volunteering and the culture of service. And he said something very inspirational and, and really summed up my life in, in, in this journey. He said, he said, don't think that um, you are here to serve the guru and the work that needs to be done. Actually, the whole cosmos, the whole scenario that's unfolding right now is there in front of you for you to grow. So you, you are, you are the one that needs to embrace that for your own development. And really that summed up 
you know, how much master's given. It was such a challenge. Oh, nice. Yeah, and um, I, I feel like from there, we can um, segue slowly back to the movie a little bit. Um, and I, I liked um, what Mas said earlier, that a lot of the things we do um, are in order to um, raise awareness for Guruji. And I was wondering when you told the story about how you were approached um, to be in awake mass, how, how was that? Was like, um, was like Paola Di Florio and Peter Rader coming up and say, we're doing this project that did you already know it, how big this would be and how many devotees would be watching this and that they would be showing it at convocation. Did you have any idea in the beginning? I certainly not the number of details in terms of the volume and the sales that it had, but I felt it personally that the message um, and the life of Yogananda would be uh, very, very transformative for a lot of people. I did feel that. And um, I had learned of the project before it, it was it started that it was in the, in the early stages and then um, as it developed it was just the momentum kept building and building but it took six years uh, to finish that film and um, just hours and hours of material that they worked very very hard on producing and uh, it was a diligent uh, process that they they went through um but it was it was you started to feel it when the film festivals i went to open the film at the film festivals um and i was asked to do some kirtan and uh, and uh speak at a few things some of the monks were there um and i went anywhere the film was opening um, and when I was in those theaters with hundreds and hundreds of people sold out, um, it was it was incredible to have that feel the experience that people were having in those in the theater in tears. I remember the first screening that we were at. It was the first one. It was opening in Sedona, Arizona. And I had just given the, done the kirtan in the beginning. The film turns on. I hadn't seen the, fin the finished product at that point. It was the new, the final version. And um, I'm sitting next to one of the monks in the audience and we're both just in tears, uh, especially because here I am hearing myself tell the story when Yogananda was giving the speech at the Biltmore Hotel and he suddenly dropped and then to see his body was taken to Mother Center. I was, it was just such a powerful feeling for me. And I, I looked to the monk and he's just bawling in tears. And, um, 
and that continued until the film was over and, and uh, the monk was supposed to come up after the film showed to talk and say some things um, and nobody could find him. Apparently he went to the bathroom because he had to, he was just feeling so much devotion and love for Guruji, you know, it was just, a, the, the theater was just silent at that point. It was just powerful feeling there. And then finally he came out and we could just, at that moment, it had won the, the film festival, the Illuminate Film Festival, won the award for best documentary. And we knew at that point that this is, um, this is, this is really going to impact the world and change the world because video is this new medium in a way that people are now want to see video, right? So it was that, it went from this simple little, we were just talking about it two nights ago, was it two nights ago, we were just talking about it at dinner. And, uh, you know, those, those little interviews and how you put together this project on, on this great teaching and the number of people that are impacted by, by this teaching after 70 plus years of leaving the body. And now again, there's a re huge resurgence. Um, it's, a, it's a great honor. I can still say to this day, it is, was a big part of, of my life and my work. And I knew um, how important it is to, to try and help in any way that I can to keep encouraging people to follow these teachings. So um, um, thank you all again for, <laughs> for this, uh, this satsang. And uh, it was like we, um, you know, we've, you've got so many parts in the film, whether you're, you know, actually in on the screen or not. But it feels like, you know, I, this is the first time listeners this is the first time we've met uh, Mas. And, but it feels like we, we know him, <laughs> whether that's a devotee or some other connection, I don't know. But, you know, he, 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 it was, he was so, you know, his, his, his part in the film, it was so from the heart. And I don't know how much of it was scripted, but it, it just felt like it just felt like you were right. You know, you were in the room and you were sharing these lovely lovely stories and narrating the various parts that you were doing and now that we're discussing with you it just feels like the same thing where we're completely engrossed with what you're with what you're saying and we're right there and it's absolutely beautiful to be part of so yeah we thank you for that yeah and 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 to answer your point uh, none of it was scripted actually i everything that i had to say i mean i was asked questions about certain things um but everything that I had to share was very much a part of, of how I understood Guruji's life. And I also studied his life and his teachings, not just the lessons, but in India and understood it from a, a different perspective. So um, it was really uh, humbling for me that the board of directors would approve and accept the things that I had to say about um, Yogananda and that it, it was a strong enough message that, that 
that they wanted audiences um, to hear it. So, um, but it is, you know, before I spoke on, uh, I did the voice over the, um, the, um, the speaking about the final moments when he went to give that speech. And interesting enough, I had never gone to the place uh, where Yogananda sat. And I knew that I, uh, Paula said, listen, I, we want you to, we, we really like your voice. Can you tell that story for the audience? And so I went to the hotel, it was during convocation and we were filming during that time. And I went <clears throat> to the lobby of that hotel. And I hadn't, after having been to a convocation for many years, I just didn't go to that spot. And now many years later, here it is. Okay, I see the background. Uh, there's a picture of Guruji there. And so I, I, I spent a, a good few hours in that lobby, I meditated in a chair over there. And, um, and I was able to connect with that moment um, that he was having. I read through the speech that he gave and then I uh, was able to uh, talk about that. And I, for me, that was the, the most important part for me. It was the most dear part for me because um, it was such a culmination in, in Guruji's life to come to that point. And what an exit to leave standing and dropping in his boots, literally next to the ambassador to India um, and in the middle of a ballroom. And I just would sit, uh, stand there and look down at the floor knowing that the pew that the podium he was speaking of was only two feet from where his seat was. And I just thought, here's where he was lying. And here's where Diamond then came and chanted Om in his ear. And, and then he was carried from that floor to his bedroom in Mount Washington, on the third floor of Mount Washington, Mother Center. And this is where everyone could go and to see Rajashree and monks, I had such a connection with that moment because um, now that teaching, that consciousness has descended to a higher place, to a new dimension. And um, it, was, it was very special and we still have those conversations today. I, I'm dear, good friends, dear friends with the filmmakers and to hear of their life and their evolution uh, of this teaching. And uh, it's, it's uh, nothing is more sacred in this world than the mysterious um, and obscure ways that the guru uh, perceptor guides souls to enlightenment. Um, it, it, we're in that process right now. That nothing is coincidental. They have a hand in.
even small things like this. To go back to, um, you mentioned, was it the dark night of the soul? Just to kind of go back to this, because it was curious, you know, whenever, whenever you said it was in the Bhagavad Gita, maybe you could tell us a little bit more about that, but also maybe just share a little bit of my experience that whenever, I think I was 26, 27, and you know, I'm not, I might look about 20 years old, but uh, I guess I've aged a few years since then. But so, so I've, I've really only been with SRF, um, I think since um, for four or five years now. Um, and whenever I kind of came onto the spiritual path, maybe similar to UMass, I was, I was a bit of a prodigal son running around in, in London, uh, away from my parents in Northern Ireland. And um, uh, my life just shattered almost overnight, my social circles, everything, whatever, what I thought was my world, so to speak, my, my relationships, intimate relationships and things just disappeared almost overnight. And at the time it was chaos, absolute chaos, the definition of. And looking back, I realized the order was coming through, you know, this order of, of God and, and love. Uh, and Guruji, you know, had a strong hand to play in that and immediately went, went to him. Uh, so I, I guess just hearing you speak, maybe did you have a similar experience? Did you see your, your world maybe one world disappear and, and another one come forth so quickly is what maybe I experienced. Yeah, my hearing you, my experience was a, a lot of sadness. Um, I felt a lot of compassion for all of the people around me and my family that don't understand what's happening to a person when they go through that. Because I don't want to hurt anyone and a person and the world, your community feels in a way rejected by you because now your life has changed and you're looking at life in a very different way. And for me, it was more this feeling of I, I have compassion for you and I'm looking at that world with more love and giving more through prayer um, rather than just trying to explain things to, to people of what I'm going through because to them, they, no one will ever understand it. That's just the way the path is. Um, so it is, it is difficult. Um, uh, and for me, it happened gradually over time. It, it was a slow process of purification that occurs. One desire after another starts to fall away. And three decades later, that's what is still continuing today. The one desire that you that drew you to this becomes clear and clear and all the other desires become diminished. And so that was my experience. It, it, even though it seemed catastrophic at that time, a good knock in the beginning is important, right? You know, there has to be some pivotal awakening, but once that's there, um, then it's a, uh, 
a continuous, uh, I think, process in that evolution. So, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. cool. Reminds me of uh, the dancing Shiva or the Nataraja for playing on various uh, parts of creation and in indeed your own life. I wanted to ask you, Master, dancing Shiva to me represents, or Nataraja is represented in that form that you're um, kind of named your organization. Is there any link there? Nataraja is very, I don't know why, but that form of the dancing Shiva is, is so dear to my heart. I mean, of all the, of all the, um, you know, deities and the statues of, you know, Krishna and Ganpati, etc. That Nataraja form, I don't know why, but it's just, it's just so powerful for me. But is there, oh, is yeah. there, is there any... yeah, I, 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 re I resonate with the destructive power of, of evolution. I really think that we're, as we become Shivas and yogis, um, we're destroying what is unreal, what is not real. And we're allowing ourselves to dance um, in the bliss of divine consciousness and following the divine path. And Shiva represents that universal. Uh, for some reason, I don't know how, but uh, I was drawn to Shiva as an image for me, it represented a very iconic um, reminder of the divine for me. So I do, you know, have Shiva with Yogananda on the altar. Um, do you have a Nataraja or do you have just Nataraj. A, a set? A set oh, you have Nataraja. So you have a small statue, as it were. Yes, yes. I have a, yeah, Nataraja is. is it's just, it's just there. It, it doesn't seem to escape me. It seems to come into my life. And then I, you know, was given the name Mahesh Ananda, which is the name of Shiva. And, um, I just resonate with that. And I think each yogi devotee finds a quality that they really align with in God. Um, whether it be the soft nature of divine mother or the, the destructive aspect of Shiva or the preserving aspect. I, you know, the gurus in this lineage uh, also have different embodied qualities that they bring forth. The Yogananda is considered a prem avatar, avatar of, of love. And uh, Yukteswar Gyan avatar of wisdom. That's why he was so connected to the Jyotish. And, and so each person has their own, what I call affinity with divinity. And I think it's important for uh, each person to find that. Uh, for me, it was very, that was another pivotal moment. I was sitting with Anandamoy, Brother Anandamoy, and uh, he asked me a question. Said, so, how do you see God? And uh, I said, Well, God is everywhere. <laughs> God is everywhere. He says, Yeah, I, I know that. But how do you see God? And and I he I he got me. I paused and I looked at him and I thought, 
That's what you got to figure out. And uh, that, you know, after having been on the a Kriya Yogi for much time, that was another real pivotal change for me to be very, very clear of that image for the divine. Um, and that's unique to you. Nobody tells you that. You have to feel that. And if that's clear for you, then now it becomes to vibrate with stronger frequency. But if it's just this abstract concept, again, you're given the key, but you gotta know where to put the key in. You can't just say the key is gonna go anywhere in the door. No, there's a very specific place to put the key. And if you have a very clear image of the divine, now the key has a very specific place to open that door. Uh, and that's very, very, important in our tradition, even though you're doing Kriya Yoga and you're focusing on the spine. It's the technique plus devotion. It's not just mechanics. When you're offering that devotion, you have to have a very clear image and idea of what the divine is to you. And it could be Guruji, could be Yukteswar, could be Babaji. So each person has to develop that on their spiritual path. Lovely. I noticed you um, on some of your, sorry guys, I'm mono monopolizing all of Master's time. <laughs> I noticed uh, on some of your um, pictures and videos, you were, you were Urudrakshasa. I think you wear quite 108 beads. Um, I think you you've marked similar to what I have. You've marked um, you've marked 24 and 36 beads. I think probably for the Kriya counting, perhaps I don't know. And you also wear the um, the Navratna, do you, on your um, yes. on one of your arms? Um, I've actually just you know two days before seeing that picture of you, I've been thinking about um, uh, investing. What would you say? What would you say your um, uh, what would you advise on that aspect? Um, you know, that gets into some more difficult, more complex uh, astrology aspects. It's a big mm -hmm. investment. Um, I would say first, a person should get to know their astrology, um, get clear with what their rising sign, the moon sign in particular, because in the Vedic tradition, we follow the moon sign as predominant, not the sun sign. And there are differences in the tropical zodiac and the sidereal zodiac, which was followed and is followed in the Vedic tradition. Um, once you're clear and you have a good sense of what your chart is, and any uh, good astrologer can present all of that to you and help you understand it. Um, the Navaratna and the gems and the metals as Yukteswar and Yogananda and many great gurus, yogis wear these because they help the individual overcome difficult periods during their evolution. 
and um, they serve during these particular cycles. So these are called dashas. These are planetary cycles when uh, more difficult periods uh, come up and we can foresee these in the chart, just as Yukteswar foresaw uh, his young disciples uh, issues with his liver and he said, I need you to wear this. And so he did and that changed the course of that affliction that he was experiencing in his body. And, and he obviously made that important in his teaching by including a whole chapter in his autobiography to that. So it plays a substantial role in our lineage that if you can use something and it helps you even a half of a percent, then take it. That means that everything matters. It's not the technique alone. It's an integral approach to healing. It's diet, it's lifestyle, it's the astrology. And that's what makes this lineage so great is that not only is it the renaissance of Kriya Yoga, but Yukteswar serves as, as sort of the the grandfather or the father of Jyotish in the modern age. He is what brought forth the clarification of the yugas and the understanding of these uh, cycles and how they influence us. So um, before you go out and spend a lot of money on these expensive gems, and there are devotees, there's uh, a devotee in Encinitas here that uh, does make these uh, bangles, these Navaratnas. Um, get to know your chart, understand it, know where the Saturn cycles are, where these, these challenge periods are in your life, and then, um, you know, save up for it. And um, it, it can help you, can help you. Make sure your sadhana is consistent, it's steady, it's stable, otherwise the the yogi bling isn't going to make <laughs> you, you you pull off the yogi bling very well mas especially with your uh, you've got a very athletic build so it works well yeah well uh, that was my connection to you know the bengalis you know that bhakti and uh and our lineage too you know we're muscle builders and yogis, you know? So um, I explained that a lot in my, my first book, uh, which was kind of a, you know, continued on a lot of the points that I made in the film. Um, but I, I went much deeper with showing the connection, the importance of taking care of the body and how Yogananda was very, very particular about that, you know, to use asana and to keep that body strong and spine strong otherwise uh, slouchy spine slouchy life you know kriya doesn't work that way it's not a, a of just literal importance it's figurative it's allegorical importance that the spine you got to keep the chin up you have to be strong and that it was really a lot about that you know the spine has something to do with it. And yes, a straight spine matters, but Yogananda often said it has to do with the character and the strength of your, your morale 
and your willingness to conquer and to endure the battles of life. That's what this is about. This is not a Tinkerbell uh, path. This is a path of deep, deep removal of karma and overcoming the, the many incarnations of difficulty that we've all uh, gone through. And now you're, this, you're given another life here to really, to really purify. So. Yeah, you mentioned um, asanas there. Um, obviously, we, we only get, uh, I think, one asana other than energization. Um, I, personally, I, I do other yoga asanas, um, but how, how, how important would you, because in, in self-realization fellowship and the lessons, we, we don't, there's, that, that isn't emphasized. And I know that the monks do it, and uh, you obviously, you're, you're a big advocate of it. How would us as a devotees of, in a self-realization fellowship go down, the, to venture down the path of yoga asanas or yoga? Yeah, I, yoga? I, I, I would say this is one, Yogananda had exposure to asana. He taught it at Deepka in his school in India. His child, and this is where the boys were trained in asana. He also taught many of his monastics during the 1920s, particularly the 30s and the 40s when he was developing more of the ashram. They were all practicing asana. All of those images that were shown in a way were per my prodding because the commercial yoga movement of the world that I had been a part of didn't know of Yogananda's influence of that. And I really wanted to make sure that that connection was made because it was he who traveled this country from left to right, from east to west and had demonstrations often before many of his public lectures would have the monks do demonstrations. And in fact, even in India, 1935 and 36, when Guruji went back to India, the same was done. It was, it was a type of a typical structure to have guest yogis, Hatha yogis, do demonstrations for the audience. In fact, Iyengar uh, was asked during uh, Yogananda's visit to uh, Mysore. And he was invited to the Raja's palace there. Um, and it was Iyengar that was asked to give a demonstration before Yogananda was to speak. And Iyengar uh, remembers walking into that room and he said, um, I really, that presence of a true Satguru came to me when I came to, when I was asked to do a demonstration for Yogananda. Uh, and that was in 1936. Iyengar at the time was probably only a, a 18 or 19 year old. And so they're important. And yes, the monks do asana, different degrees at different levels. Um, it's important. It's part of the integral path. It helps keep the mind and spine relationship intact. Uh, keep in mind that a Mahamudra is a Hatha yoga posture. Nauli, the stomach undulations that are done as part of energization is a Hatha yoga technique. Um, Ketri Mudra, which is a, a more advanced 
Kriya technique also comes from the Hatha Yoga tradition. Yogananda was born in Gorakhpur. It is the home to Goraknath. Goraknath was one of the great founders of the Nath tradition of the Hatha Yoga tradition. So Babaji has his links and connections to the Nath yogis. Our path is completely intertwined and integrated into the Hatha Yoga tradition. And it is very important as part of our path to keep the body strong, keep the mind-body relationship intact, and let Hatha Yoga prepare you for the higher practices of Kriya Yoga. That's the design. Gorgnath mentions that in his text. Yogananda taught that is a great disciplinary practice. And it's a great tapasya as Patanjali uh, taught and Yogananda and our path follows that three, those three pillars, tapasya, swadaya, and ishwara pranidhan. Those are the three last niyamas that are very core to preparing for the Kriya Yoga path, tapasya, is found in austerities like asana and hatha yoga. And so I would say absolutely practice it. It will help your connection to your body. It'll help your connection to your spine, but make sure that you do it before energization because it's a grosser form. Energization is a more subtle form we consider a marma form. It's a form, it's basically a technique of controlling prana. And then, so the energization comes just before the Kriya Yoga and the lineage techniques. But certainly you can find them in your cities and your town. There are great uh, centers that follow a more integral approach. And I would urge you to follow them and many Kriya bonds also are now have learned to teach Kriya yoga, uh, to teach, pardon me, uh, asana and are well-trained in that. And um, so you'll find many brother guru bhais around that, that you can connect with. So certainly I would urge you. And my, my first book, Sun, Moon and Earth explains much of how Yogananda and Guruji wanted those asanas used as preparations for meditation. Um, it's all there. And I explained that um, more of that was in the film, but it wasn't necessary to have that as part of the film. And it was, um, uh, the, the message of the film is there and what was important in the film. And I think, uh, so that's a great question. And I hope that, that the audience really finds that connection because, um, you know, spine and mind both need their work. Uh, Chris, you're muted. muted. Chris. <laughs> ah, dear. Uh, maybe you could uh, touch on some of the things that you're doing currently. Uh, because your your website dancingshiva.com, if if um, any of the listeners want to check that out, you know they're they're more than welcome to. You've got various uh, tabs there, 
relating to grand subjects and you know it, it seems like uh, you know you're a man that's doing many things but maybe what are, what are you focusing on now and, and the second part of the question if, if i if i can be so uh, so rude to, to give you two questions at one what has the covid pandemic uh, how has it affected you what has it done to to some of the practices and, and training courses and things like that that you've been doing yeah, obviously, uh, those are great questions. Um, like many, um, we've had to turn to technology to continue a lot of things. So I would say in many regards, uh, uh, it's been wonderful because I've been able to do more counseling with people uh, via online and they have felt that they didn't need to be in my physical presence to still get a good experience especially when you use astrology and when, uh, as you get more seasoned, um, it's easier to do. Um, so I'm grateful that that has carried through. Uh, but right now, the main thrust of my work is focused on the importance of culture. Um, I really feel that um, Techniques are far and wide, they're there. Korea certainly has a very unique place in yogic history. Um, but what Yogananda represents as a Jagat Guru is a complete reformation of culture in the world and particularly the Western world and the original themes that and impetus behind his coming here, separate of his request by Babaji, was the bridging of East and West. This was very dear to him. It was dear to Vivekananda. And because they knew that the Indian, the wisdom of Indian culture, which came from a tremendous and vast golden age of thousands of years and had lost that is in renaissance now as we entered the Dwapara Yuga some few centuries ago that the culture the entire Vedic culture uh, and vegetarianism and recognizing the body as your own inner temple and the idea that God is in your spine and that the guru is a living relationship with all living things. And all of these great themes that were, I've always been a part of, of the Asian culture is coming here now. And Yogananda brought that to the West. He brought vegetarianism here. He brought devotion here, not just devotion for a male uh, figure with long hair and light colored skin. In fact, he said Jesus was an Oriental, he was of darker skin. Divine Mother was a big part of that, that you can maybe have a connection with God as mother, as a feminine, uh, feminine aspect. And so all of this cultural thing for me uh, is, is really where I 
am putting a lot of my work. I just finished a book I'm submitting to the publisher this week, actually. It is called The Evolution Revolution, Yoga, Ayurveda, and the Rise of the Soft Power Culture. That the soft powers of compassion, ahimsa, pranayama, mantra, meditation, all of these are soft powers. And they're part of a culture now that we're all awakening to. Vegetarianism is now a global movement, okay? Sound therapy and healing is becoming more popular now. Yoga, Ayurveda as a healing sister science to yoga is now also in Renaissance. And this is all happening in my view because of Guruji's work. His gurus were also versed in Ayurveda, astrology and the whole life, the culture and so I'm putting a lot of my emphasis in that, in lifestyle reform and encouraging people to live on this planet in a different way and to change their relationship with God in the relationship they're having with this planet. That's the spiritual message to me, the spiritual path to me that I got because of our teachings and the guru's teachings. It's not just a mechanical process in your spine. It's a living relationship with every single living being, nature, and your whole life. It's, a, it's a, a, alive in that way. Um, and that's what I'm hoping will, will continue and this momentum continues between East and West, which um, I do spend a lot of time in India. I travel there on a regular basis every year. I teach there um, at universities and different groups. Um, and through my courses and my continued counseling in, in this work, I hope to continue to help people to find their way. It may not be Yogananda. I'm not, uh, I can't be um, selfish in that way. Everyone has to find their way. And that's what I love about the greatness of Yogananda. He really came to us, to this world to say, find your way. He was an ambassador to what he loved so much was India. His last words when he gave that speech were a tribute to India. I'm hallowed that my feet have touched that sod. It was his love for India and the greatness of that country and the culture of a golden age that will save humanity. Um, and I think really that's why Yogananda is loved, loved by so many because he helped so many find their way to their guru. It was Yogananda that helped them get there. 
And um, so I thank you for that question because I think that's really the message that we all awaken. And the message of awake was the guru inside of you, that we all, that Brahman is inside of us and that we each can find our way to, to that place. So pranams to the gurus and to all of you for uh, sharing this time with you and these teachings and um, I'm humbled and grateful for these moments. Thank you. Thank you. So maybe the, um, we've probably got, we've got so many questions. I can just tell the guys who probably just think, do we, do we have time? I don't say for a run out of time. Matt, it would be, I'll just, I'm, I'll say it. I'm sure the guys are thinking the same thing. It would be awesome to have you back on at some point in the future. We're running through minute by minute and it's, uh, we're into minute, um, I guess, uh, as 14, of minute today, 14. 14, isn't it? So uh, we have a few more minutes to go and, uh, you know, at any point in the future, if you have uh, a spare hour or two, or I don't know how long we've been on the call for. Two hours. Uh, it, it would be uh, <laughs> a blessing to have you back on really at any point. So I just threw that out there. Sure, no, thank you. Let's yeah, let's look at that. And because uh, I do have to go, um, but I, I hope that I have, uh, you know, shared my my inspiring moments with uh, all those that follow this great path, and um, and I, I'm more and more humbled that I can ever get an opportunity again to encourage people to to a great teaching like this. It is um, not something to take for granted. You know, as Ramakrishna once said you know, run, run to the pond like your hair is on fire. And uh, we have to kind of have that urgency around this, this work and this, our sadhana, that, you know, it, it can slip away, we can lose it. And we have to be very careful to protect it and keep it very near and dear to our hearts. Because that world out there is um, had different intentions. They want to go a certain way and your soul wants to go uh, another way. And so keep, keep that in mind. Um, sacred is secret. And uh, this, these are things that we're sharing within our satsanga and our communities to uh, as inspiration, as, as little, um, bits that our, our lineage has left for us to keep us uh, motivated on the spiritual path. So, um, yeah, so to, to be continued. <laughs> yeah, Mas, would you, would you yes. like to do the closing prayer? Sure. One of your favorites, and then we can perhaps end it there. Okay, all right, I, I don't know, um, let's... Uh, are you do these as call and response, or should I just? Uh, no, just you can just. Okay. Yeah. Heavenly Father, 
mother, friend, beloved God, great line of gurus, teachers and saints of the world, we humbly bow to you all. O oh, Guruji, Babaji, great ones, we all yearn to know you, to love you, and to serve your children. Guide us today, tomorrow, and always to serve your work, to study your teachings, and to see your divine presence in all living things. We're with you now, and we're with you forever and forever. Take her. Take her. Take her. Take her.